Welcome to the Fed Heads, a weekly podcast from Grant Thornton Public Sector. Join the Fed Heads, Robert Shea and Francis Rose, each week to talk about the arcana of government management and the people who are working hard every day to improve it. Welcome to episode 19, the Independence Day edition of Fed Heads. I'm Francis Rose. I'm, I'm Robert Shea. Looking yeah. forward to a wonderful Independence Day. You sounded like you weren't sure of yourself there for a moment. Well, this will run on the 2nd, the week of the 4th. Yes. Uh, which, as you know, is Independence Day. I do know that. It is uh, July 4th is the calendar day, and that's one of my pet peeves, as we were just discussing before we turned the microphones on, is it. To me, I think the term 4th of July trivializes the importance of that day in American history. You know I'm a big history nerd. I do. And so I know the story of the whole deal, like most people do. But um, I I think Independence Day is the way that we should collectively refer to that holiday instead of just calling it the 4th of July. It is a hallowed day in our history. It is. We ought to honor it in every way we can. Mm -hmm. And if to you that's calling it Independence Day— and correcting people on the street. Well, no, I don't. I don't take I think, it quite that far. I think. I think more power to you. Yeah, I don't take it quite that far. I just, in my mind, I shake my fist at the moon. It's a great day, and you know, it. It. What's happening right now in our government? Uh, most recently, as far as the structure of it is concerned, the president released a list of major recommendations to reorganize the government. Um, it seems to me another stage in our evolving democracy, trying to perfect our union. I was grateful to have you included on this, what I refer to as a cavalcade of stars, talking about the government reorganization plan on Government Matters this past week. We didn't get much of a chance to dig into what each of your, you and your colleagues on those panels thought personally and professionally about the reorg. What, what was your takeaway from it? Um, I think if we could snap a finger, wave a wand, and all of those proposals were accomplished, the government would be higher performing and more efficient than it is today. There's a lot between now and then to, to ensure that success, and it'll be real expensive, time-consuming, and wrenching. But uh, as, as proposed, I think those um, – warrant a lot of consider serious consideration, things that people have been complaining about a long time. There's overlap and duplication that gets in the way of the government's accomplishing its important mission on behalf of the American people. Were there things that were included that you did not expect to see, or were there things that were not included that you expected to see? There's nothing in there that... Um, there, there's nothing that's not in there. It's far more expansive than I expected because this had to go through the interagency clearance process. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some surprises. You know, there's a real focus on improving evidence-based policymaking and an optimization of the statistical agencies. Way in the back, but nonetheless deep in my heart. <laughs> um, a lot of consternation about the uh, abolition of the Office of Personnel Management, mm-hmm. the now, um, it doesn't say abolition. It doesn't, but that's what it is. Okay. It, it, it abolishes what we know to be the Office of Personnel Management and farms out those functions to different entities. Um, and frankly, OPM's not getting the job done today, so I'm not sure how doing that could be worse for the American people or the agencies the office is intended to serve. So the argument that your uh, former colleague, Dan Blair, the former deputy director there, 
made on my show was that if the if the functions are moved the way that the administration proposes to move them the potential exists for the independence of the civil service system to take a big hit if it all of a sudden lives inside the executive office of the president. And I don't think he's off base there. I think especially with some of the concerns that in particular the federal workforce has about the current administration and the way they view the federal workforce and the federal employee individually, I think people are right to be concerned about that. I've talked to a number of very senior career civil servants about their views on this reorganization, and their reaction is giddiness. I don't think it's because of questions about the independence of the function. I think, frankly, they think it could focus OPM on a more effective oversight. But to the point about independence, the acquisition shop, the Office of Federal Procurement Policy, resides in the Executive Office of the President. The Office of Federal Financial Management, the Office of EGov, um, those three have very important management functions, ones that are perhaps susceptible to mm-hmm. uh, independence concerns, but no one raises those as those functions are currently uh, residing in EOP. So maybe we have then not we, maybe the administration has a lexicon problem and not an independence perception problem. Because when I think EOP, fairly or unfairly, I think Office of Presidential Personnel. And I think that it sounds to me the way it was presented that that piece of OPM would move to be in the same shop as OPP. That's not fair, and that's not accurate according to the construct that you just laid out. If OPM becomes a similar office inside OMB to what um, the Office of Federal Procurement Policy is for procurement, et cetera, that makes more sense and, and I think insulates the administration from this independence right. argument. Is that what you're getting at? That's what I'm getting at. Okay. The, uh, it's not clear where it will land, and it's really hard. When the administration proposes this monolithic set of proposals, to parse them out. What do they mean? Yep. What, where is this going to go? How are you going to accomplish this or that? Um, so that's a criticism, I would say. This is chum in the water for us uh, good government <laughs> folks. Arcana. Right? Yeah, this is, this is deep arcana that we get really excited about. But the, the details, what it means for the mission of these organizations – how they're going to accomplish them, those details are hard to really parse out when you've got this big, thick set of proposals that have been dropped. Another point that you raised on the TV program was um, this, just because the administration says it wants to do all of this, there's a huge swath of these proposals that Congress will have to approve. The political reality in which we live is that between now the beginning of July and November, virtually nothing is likely to happen legislatively, including getting spending bills out the door in a timely way. That means that we're looking at this being taken up, anything that needs to be taken up by Congress, not being taken up until January in an environment in which, one, the lineup on the Hill could look completely different than it looks today, and in two, in which the toxic rhetoric 
has amped up over the last couple of weeks a thousand percent, not just around government issues specifically like this arcana that we're talking about, although Jerry Conley made it very clear on Twitter about two minutes after the thing was released what he thought of it, which was not much. I mean, and then you have comments by other folks. We have the uh, press secretary being asked to leave the restaurant. Just all of these things happening. It seems like coming out of nowhere, although that's probably not fair. In an environment like this, I just wonder whether anything's going to be possible over the next two years, even if Republicans somehow do manage to keep control of either or both chambers of Congress. What's the likelihood Congress is ever going to touch any of this? We are not at the zenith of cross-branch collaboration. Thank you, Captain Obvious. <laughs> but, and I, you know, frankly, I really uh, would love to see some of these accomplished. But remember, the, there's a law that says con- Congress put in the FY18 appropriations, I know you're thinking about moving some of these boxes around, but don't think about doing it without our express approval. You can't spend a penny, Congress said, on moving these boxes without our approval. So nothing will get done before the end of this calendar year, even should they not require statutory authorization. And your point is um, a really good one, that in November, the margins, uh, even if the Republicans retain their majority, the margins will be diminished. And so it'll be even harder to accomplish something if the Democrats take control of the House or the Senate then I think those prospects dim to almost nothing. At that point, then, what becomes – I hate to frame it this way, but I guess it's the only way to frame it. What's the point? What happens to this? Does this just disappear? Even if President Trump's reelected in 2020, without really some incentive by Congress to move, it doesn't sound like there's much to move. President Clinton proposed similar things. George H.W. Bush, George W. Bush, Barack Obama. These are things all uh, that consistently administrations have tried to accomplish, but they haven't given any leadership attention to them. OMB Director Mulvaney, in his presentation to the cabinet, was impassioned that this was something into which he was going to invest a lot of effort. So maybe... They will put a framework around driving some of these proposals. Maybe they will get the statistical agencies arranged. I do bet uh, background investigations go to DOD and HR services go to GSA. So there are some things that will be accomplished. Um, But it remains to be seen whether you'll get adequate leadership focus behind any of them. That's what it will take to get them done. I'm hopeful that will happen. And and if you – you got to get something on the table to begin the conversation. They've done that. Are they going to really find pockets of interest? Are they going to find people who think, despite the mayhem in which we find ourselves today, uh, somebody rolling up their sleeves and accomplishing some of these things would be worth their effort? Mm-hmm. Uh, just for context, this is uh, Jerry Connolly, as I said, uh, tweeting moments after the plan was Uh, introduced on the 21st. The Trump reorg plan is a wish list for anti-government ideologues not based in fact or study. This is a blueprint for failure that would create dysfunction and chaos in the federal government and do harm to Americans who rely on these services. And 
he's the number two Democrat on House Oversight and Government Reform, and he's the top Democrat on the Government Operations Subcommittee of that committee. So it's not like he's just a bystander. So when I was in the administration, we had a much more modest proposal to consolidate community and economic development programs into the Department of Commerce. A similar proposal is in this administration. Governor Martin O'Malley declared that my boss, George W. Bush, was the Osama bin Laden of American cities. This is not new rhetoric. It looks like it's consistent with the times, but this is the reaction. This is why it's so difficult to do this. we got to do something different. It would have been great if the administration plowed some ground ahead of time, maybe didn't put this together in a monolithic set of proposals and instead did them piecemeal. Um, but, uh, but, but to your point, I don't think it suggests a really willing partner in the Congress, be it Republican or Democrat. No, I think it suggests someone who, for whatever reason, and he goes on in this, in this Twitter thread to give reasons. It's not, he's not just ranting and, and shouting. He gives support for the reasons that he believes this is a bad idea. If he's all of a sudden the number two majority member of the Oversight and Government Reform Committee and the chairman of the Government Operations Subcommittee, I think that we have a pretty clear indication of where this will go, in at least in his chamber of Congress. Doesn't look like he's going to crack any amount of sweat working on these proposals. No, I don't hear anything there that leads me to think that he's willing to listen or interested in hearing an argument in favor of doing any of these things. So so what then what happens? Does this become another thing that sits in a binder on a shelf at OMB? Sadly, I think so. Again, there is a lot, not a lot, some in these proposals that you can accomplish administratively. Not much. Mm-hmm. You can drive evidence-based policymaking. You can probably farm out background investigations and HR services. But I do think it is a blueprint for perhaps a future administration, provided, as we predict, Congress flips or the margins become even narrower. Uh, Final thought. Secretary Perdue at the Department of Agriculture referred to this plan as the beginning of a conversation. He's the only person I've heard that's referred to it in that way. Why do you think that's the case? If that's indeed what this is... I wonder why it wasn't presented that way. Well, I'm not sure that it would have gotten as positive a reaction among supporters of the president had they put it in softer language. Hmm. But what Sonny Perdue is doing at the Department of Agriculture is an incredible blueprint for what could be accomplished across the government. Mm -hmm. He is reorganizing to a great extent operations at the Department of Agriculture. He is driving a relentless focus on customer experience that should benefit not only the American people that department serves, but the employees who are serving them. Mm-hmm. Because to his point, when, in, when he was governor of Georgia, when you transform the experience for the customer, you also transform the experience for the employee who was serving them. So if we can take the Purdue blueprint make it sunny everywhere across government, then um, I don't. I think it, it would be, um, uh, we would have made a lot of progress. Robert Shea, wonderful to be back on FedHeads with you. Thanks, my Great friend. Great to see you. Happy Independence Day. And same to you. Thanks for listening to the FedHeads. 
brought to you by Grant Thornton Public Sector. All of the resources talked about during the episode are available in the episode description. We'd love to hear from you. Connect with us on Twitter at GT Public Sector to join the conversation. And don't forget to leave us a comment or review on iTunes or the Google Play Store.